guys, and thank you for joining us on your Una Series podcast. Today, we have an amazing guest, and I'm really thrilled that he's taken on time to come and share some of his incredible adventure in health and arts. Uh, this is Mr. Tim Joss. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. Great to be here. Let Lovely me. Boniface. I was I was saying to, to Tim Joss just as we started. I was gonna. I like to learn things by heart when I introduce my my guests, but this time I couldn't because Tim has done so much amazing things in his life that I would like to just read it out loud to you. Tim is a graduate in mathematics from Oxford University and in piano and composition from the Royal Academy of Music. His past activities include artistic director and chief executive of the Bath International Music Festival, senior management at the Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra, chair of the International Society for Music Education's Community Music Commission, director of a charitable foundation and a founder of National Numeracy at the Arts Impact Fund, the first social investment fund for the arts. He was appointed a Chevalier de l'Ordre des Arts et des Lettres by the French government in 2005. Do you understand why it was tricky for me to remember all this now? But more importantly, and regarding the subject of today, Tim is a social entrepreneur. He is chief executive and founder of ESOP, I will leave all the contacts for this at the end of the podcast. Aesop's vision is a future when art solutions for society's problems are valued and available for all who need them. It runs Dance to Health, a fourth prevention dance program aiming to be the first arts program which becomes a national health service. Aesop has also developed the first evaluation framework for arts and health, the first annual survey of health sector attitudes to the arts, university-accredited arts and health training for busy health and art professionals, and major national arts conferences and showcases for health decision makers, nonetheless. So, Tim, <laughs> I'm impressed now. <laughs> My first question to you is, how did you first hear about health and arts? Combined. So we go back to the beginning of my career mm -hmm. and my first proper job and the first week of my first proper job. Now I want to know about the non-proper jobs you did before. <laughs> but anyway, let's go, let's go there later. And um, so uh, the job was to be um, assistant administrator of an organization called Live Music Now mm -hmm. that was set up by... Um, uh, a world-famous violinist called Yehudi Menuhin. Mm -hmm. And um, the idea was to get live music in all sorts of different settings. Right. So not just the concert hall, but remote villages, prisons, uh, hospitals, schools, whatever it might be. Right. And I found myself in, in this first week being taken off to Manchester to a conference about arts and health. And I, if I'm honest, I'd never thought that the two things particularly went together. Quite right, yeah. And the experience that blew me away was um, there was this visual artist called Peter Senior, and he'd been asked to be an artist in residence at Manchester Royal Infirmary. Mm -hmm. And what, what would happen to Peter is that different parts of the, uh, the hospital staff would come to him with a problem, and they would say, Peter, do you think you could come up with a, pro with a solution to this problem? And so um, there was this particular one. So it was all about little children who had to go and have x-rays taken. Right. And, you know, picture big room, really scary machine, making strange noises. And, you know, typical of hospitals, it wasn't made in beautiful in any way. It was all painted the same kind practical. of dull mm. um, cream colour. And in order to be able to wash the walls, they, they were shiny. So it was so unfamiliar for these young children. And um, they were really disturbed by this. Okay, and so it took a long time to settle them down. And, you know, each time they had an X-ray, there was more frightening experience with the whirring and everything. And so they said, is there some way, Peter, that you could change this room so that the young children uh, are not frightened? And so there was, a, there was a publication that went with this and you turned the page and there was this room which looked like um, a tropical rainforest. Wow, beautiful. 
beautiful. And it was in a style kind of Douanier Rousseau, you know, Disney cartoon kind of yeah. uh, style with tigers peering around banana leaves, all that sort of thing. And you'd look up and it was a gorgeous blue sky. Mm. And of course, the children walked in and they saw all these cartoon animals and this wonderful, unexpected, happy place. Yeah. And um, it worked. And suddenly they forgot about their broken bone. <laughs> exactly. And they just calmed down and all the hassle that the health professionals had had before. So that was your went first. Went away. Yeah. I can't imagine. So that was your first encounter to bring those two together. Yeah. So now we fast forward. I mean, there's lots of things in the middle that we I'd like yeah, to discuss we can fast with you. <laughs> but let's fast forward a little bit because that obviously stayed with you as, yeah. as, a, as a very strong connection and potency between yeah. the two. So tell us a little bit, or actually not a bit, a lot about this adventure of Aesop. Okay. Please. So I set up Aesop while I was director of this charitable foundation that you mentioned. Um, it's called the Rain Foundation. Um, I mean, it's an it's amazing to have this sort of opportunity because you're talking about a charity that is sitting on, in our case, it was 120 million pounds. Oh, wow. It would generate cash through investments, and you could do good with the cash. That's incredible. Um, When it works like that. It sounds extraordinary, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. It is, and. Um, It was a massive learning experience for mm. me because um, the set law, Max Rain, Lord Rain, he loved the arts. So that was one of the key elements of, of the, you know, the interest areas of the foundation. Um, and, but he was, you know, uh, kind of uh, interested in all sorts of things. So there was health, there was education, mm -hmm. there were all sorts of social issues. Mm -hmm. And the kind of the least complex way, I'd say, in which you can use that money is to let it be known that you're prepared to give grants. Right. And so the baseline was that I was a grant maker. This small team and I, we were grant makers working with trustees, right. with the Rain family and others. And um, you picture it, you can, you receive an application and the person applying to you has to explain why they want the money. Yeah. And so they, uh, you give them a first chance, uh, but eventually, if we're serious about an applicant, one of us would go and meet the chief executive of the organization. Right. And so this was the most amazing can, learning you experience. You met the oh, most incredible know, people and just, passionate about yeah. whatever they were yeah. doing, because you don't do this if you're not passionate no, about it. Absolutely. So um, one of the big things that I learned was I found myself being drawn back to arts and health. Yeah, so there was uh, a call there, recurring yeah. call. So that was that. And I began to think about how does the arts world, which does certain things really well and other things not so well, mm -hmm. how could it learn from the, the rest of the charity sector? Because there were certain things that the charity sector did really well, like campaigning, for example, or yeah. being able to actually provide evidence that they made a difference. Yeah. Uh, and the arts world weren't so good on that, whereas the arts have their own powers. Right. And I, I went for all these, uh, to all these chief execs of arts organizations. I found particularly fascinating the arts and health ones and the arts and criminal justice. Ooh, so I this was arts in prisons. Yes. I thought those were the most fascinating. But after a while, after we, you know, I might have seen 50 applications over a few years in those areas. And I thought, none of this, to use the jargon, has gone to scale. It's never developed as a social enterprise mm -hmm. so that everybody Can. who could benefit has a chance to benefit. Right. And it never spread for some reason. It never managed no. to reach. There's no reach. Yeah. I mean, I've got my... You know, if, if we've got time, I can give you some reasons. But sure. um, the the main conclusion was that I needed to set up an organization mm -hmm. which would be the bridge builder right. between the arts on the one hand and other public sectors. And um, so I set up ESOP while I was at, at Rain, And I guess it was running for about four years or how, so. How, when was that exactly, Tim? When did you... 20... I mean, 2009. 2009, okay. And 
it was just a group of us. Like we were all trustees. We were all volunteers. We were just mm. edging our way, wondering how to do this. There were people who thought it was a good idea, though. Yeah. They followed you on it, right? Yeah. 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 And I therefore um, kept learning. We, we did some early things whilst I was still at Rain on ESOP. So one thing I learned was there is no evaluation framework for arts and health work, or there wasn't. Right. So, you know, you, you picture it. If you're doing a really good arts and health program, you'll look at it through a health lens and ask questions like, is it actually improving people's health? Right. Uh, might it save the NHS money? Those sorts of questions, if you look at it through a health lens. And then through the artistic lens, is it really good artistic yeah, practice? Is it, is it, is it you know, good does it wow Just, you? Yeah. Know, does it wow you? Yeah. Well, and all that sort of thing. So um, we actually developed the first ever um, evaluation framework for arts and health. We did it initially as a research paper, which was published in a, in a journal. But then I read it and I thought, well, this is not written for me. You know, it's tough re research yeah. stuff. And so um, by good fortune, uh, I met up with someone at Public Health England and they commissioned us to produce a version which was a for you and me. More digestible. Yeah, more digestible. Um, so I did that. And the other thing, one other thing I did was I picked up through the grant making that there were some really good arts and health organisations. They may not have gone to scale, but, but the practice was really good. Interesting. And so I formed a, a kind of community of practice. May, may I stop you here to, for yeah, one sure. second? So because we have time and I want to know why do you think these organisations did not go to scale? I mean, you said you had a few ideas about it. What did you think? What, what was not working for them? Um, why, why were you needed for them? Yeah. So I think, I think I'd talk about two things. One is the art sector's attitude to scaling. Mm -hmm. And the other is the way in which the arts works, you know, the way, you yes. know, like, things happen in the arts world mm -hmm. as opposed to the health world. So um, I've met a lot of people through RAIN in the charity sector. And if you start saying to them, what you're doing is fantastic, why don't you try and make it available to more people? Mm -hmm. uh, and they have kind of gut response, which is, oh, if I grow my service, I'll become a terrible big bureaucracy and I'll be remote from my, my oh. beneficiaries. Mm. And um, they, well, I, th I think actually that's the, that's the main reason, that they, that they just don't like it. The reluctancy to, to growth in a way yeah. from a fear of more administrative. Exactly. And it's an interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think actually the, the other thing I would mention is they fear that um, by growing, you would standardize your service. And, and so you lose be, the yeah I see you yeah. lose the, the proximity and the connect connection that you can have. Yeah, so it's a kind of bespoke service for who yeah. you work with, mm -hmm. turning it into a yeah. maybe a standardised service. I see. Um, so well, fair fair points on them at this point. Yeah, you yeah, know, I, you, know, I, yeah. I, I, I sympathise with that. Mm -hmm. So um, that that yeah, so that that was why we. Um, uh, why people weren't scaling. And I think the other thing is uh, th this thing about the way these two different sectors of health and the arts, they work. Operate, yeah. Okay. So let's think about art the way things happen in the arts. So what I realised was that um, an artistic project, and I mean anything from a series of artistic workshops through to a Hollywood film, mm -hmm. It's all about projects, time limited. You have Fabulous. an idea, mm -hmm. you raise the money to do it. I mean, let, let's pause on the Hollywood film yeah, example, exactly. actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what's a Hollywood film? Someone has an idea, you know, maybe they read a book or something and they think, oh, I want to turn that into a film script and I want to make a film. Mm -hmm. So you start like that. Then, as we have often heard, you know, there's this nightmare of pulling all the money together. And there's the whole making of the film. And at the end, you think either that was rubbish and we've got a lot to learn or there were some really good things in that. I'd love to build on that in my next film. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't go through a process of evaluating impact on 
audiences or anything like that. I mean, you do look at the bottom line, you know, did it make, money what did, how did yeah. it do at the how box did office? Yeah. And did people like it artistically yeah. and did it make money, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's the artistic project mm -hmm. model. Health system's not like that at all. Mm -hmm. The health system wants universal services. Um, and they want continuity and they do want a degree of standardization. Um, so they're, they're completely different. Yeah, they're two different systems of yeah. operation. And so those are two very good reasons, I thought. Very good <laughs> To indeed. set up ESOP. Uh, so I, we did, as I've mentioned, a few things uh, as a volunteer while I was at Rain. Mm -hmm. And then I'd been at Rain for 10 years. I was getting a bit yeah. bored. I, you know, I think they were getting a bit bored of me. It wasn't quite the, you know, the fresh relationship it had been at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so it was agreed that uh, I would go and they gave me a send off and it, it, it enabled me to spend quite a long time, I guess about almost a year, just beginning to really uh, get it together. So I was, the, I was the chief exec at the kitchen table. Well, well done. Um, so, hang on. so I understand at this point, you take the team with you? And, uh, no. no, so no, you, no, no, no. Okay, me. everyone's okay. Everyone so stayed in my rain team stayed. stayed in rain team. My okay. colleagues stayed there. Um, the other thing I think, if I'm honest, that I learned from rain is, I think my, my fundraising skills got better <laughs> because you've seen it from the other so. side. Yes. <laughs> so um, that was uh, yeah. So I, I think my time at the rain foundation was the most amazing learning experience. Imagine. Um, and so off I went and in today's jargon, in, in the kind of the, uh, charity world, you talk a lot about the theory of change. In other words, you want to change something. So here we are. We want to make sure that the arts makes its fullest contribution to the health That's system. Um, and I, I realized there needed to be certain things like the evaluation framework. But the key thing I thought needed to happen was we needed a practical project, which would convince the health system, a demonstrator project. That it works. That it works. You can mm. do it because mm. no one has done it. Mm. So that's where, what we're now going to talk about, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's where Dance to Health comes in. So we've talked uh, you know, you, I, I like. Sorry, I, I was I introduced. I wanted you to tell us about what do you think was the the most important, um, I guess, idea that came to your mind for the bridging of yourself. But now, there's a project that is really has brought us together. Is this project within yourself, which is Dance to Health? And I mean, is is it? There's quite a. Few, I mean, now it's kind of a big organization, isn't it? How how big is? Oh, now. it's still quite oh, well. There are eight of us now. Yeah, but team as, you know, it's a lot from yeah. one to eight. Is I think yeah. this is a good growth. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. it's safe to say. So tell us about dance to health. So uh, for, for the Una listeners here, this is how Tim and I actually know. We met through Tim's incredible spouse called Vivian Perry, which you'll be lucky enough to probably hear on one of these podcasts one of these days. And and we through Una, as you all know, we're working on 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 health and. On, on fitness and within the fitness dance, which is what Katie is coming from, is a big part of the whole Una idea and philosophy. And then suddenly that all came together again, because if you think about it, we're trying to bridge fitness and, and health, and here we have art and health. So dancing is obviously part of the arts. Anyway, all of it connected and this is it. So now this big project that you are putting on is more than putting on that has actually showed incredible results. And I just yeah, wanted to share it with us because it's, it's actually quite, it's mind blowing really. Oh. You know, the success. <laughs> it is. I mean, the, the results are staggering. So Project Dance to Health, please. Okay. So another thing I, I realized early on, trying to make sense why arts things didn't grow in health, was that the, the impetus came from the arts organization. So the arts organization... It's one of the great things about people working in the arts. They're passionate. They want to share it with everybody. Yes. And that can include patients and prisoners and all sorts of people. Absolutely. And, you know, good on them. It's fantastic. Um, and but but what what it means is that their particular artistic practice, you know, it could be 
it could be filmmaking, it, it could be music, you know, singing, it could be dance, it could be visual arts, you know, whatever it is. They're so passionate about it, they, they think um, they, they have answers, you know, they can provide answers to things. Mm -hmm. But instead of starting with the problem, it's like they think, you know, I'm a visual arts organization, uh, visual arts is the answer, what's the question? You know, it's kind of the wrong no, way around. Right. Absolutely. But there's that passion there, which is mm -hmm. which is really to be prized. So, um, I ended up calling that arts push. So the arts person has an idea. They That's want cool. to work in health. They usually find that the health system isn't prepared to pay them because it's not proven or anything. And so the arts person goes away and raises the money and offers it free or yeah. you know some subsidized rate to the health system mm -hmm. and you get an arts project like like the project model so that's arts push and i thought no we need to flip this around we need to start with the health sector mm -hmm. we need to talk to the health sector and say hello tell me about your problems and maybe we could come up with an artistic solution which is what happened for you. in manchester which is, which is what yeah, happened in manchester we exactly. went that way around yeah, yeah. so so it's all about health pull, not mm -hmm. arts push. And so around the time that I was, um, I think this was around the time I was leaving Rain. No, I think, I think I'm still at Rain actually. Um, I started reading a lot of research which had been commissioned by Age UK about older people falling over. So, I it is important here, sorry to cut you, no, for people do. who don't know, is that when people fall over, especially after a certain age, it is often the beginning of a, an array of symptoms that can lead to really sinister outcomes. And I don't think unless it has happened to you and your family or people you know, it often is, it is the trigger to a big, big change. So this is why this is even more in incredible in its results, because by stopping this first fall you actually stop a lot more than that so this anyway. is your world absolutely no yeah. this is what i'm saying this is when i was reading this tim i got really i was you know i was really touched because i know and i see this and also we we, we have you know we're getting to an age where we have people in our families who are a bit uh, older and can at risk mm -hmm. of that because we know this is the key one fall we know a lot of the time osteoporosis is around the corner so yeah. the, the, the skeleton is fragile and then suddenly from that, it, it doesn't just affect your, your physicality. The first thing it starts affecting is your mobility. And once your mobility changes, everything in your body will change. Your circulation change. You have congestion. You start having inflammation. Mm -hmm. You start having pain. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the next step is your mindset starts changing. And when you're reaching those kind of ages, when your mindset goes, then the physicality and the body goes yeah. so quickly after. So it's just this kind of snowball effect in the really worst possible way. And it often starts there, a trip, a little fall. So uh, yeah, back this to is you, really because for me, it's, yeah. it's, I realize what it means. And yeah. I've seen it many times, of course, but I've seen, I've listened to stories and I've heard, you know, it's all started from a you know, silly trip in the carpet, come out of the... You know, whatever, you know, we fall, it's always an accident. I've never heard of a clever accident, of course. So I think it's, it's, but can you prevent it? And it seems, well, not really. Well, maybe. <laughs> so I became, I learned about falls, older people's falls. So the things I learned, key things were, like you say, if you have that, that fall, I think 10% die within a year. Um, and then I, I found out that there were fantastically well-evidenced exercises to prevent falls. Mm -hmm. They're called FAME, which stands for Falls Management Exercise, and Otago. Uh, Otago is a region of the South Island of New Zealand, which is where the research took place. Oh, wow. Okay. So Otago is for particularly... Um, frail people. Right. So we've had people coming to Otago classes with walking frames. Right. So really, yeah. And then they go to two sticks, one stick, and they get rid of the stick. Nice. Um, so I learned all about fame, or well, not all, but, you know, I began to learn yeah. about fame and Otago. Um, and then I learned about fame and Otago in practice. And this is where I saw the opening for us. Because fame and Otago are really powerful, 
but they are repetitive exercises. You read the research literature and the word dull comes up. Mm. You know, this is dull stuff, repetitive. Um, there are problems with people completing the courses. Mm -hmm. And from a health point of view, it's seen as a treatment. So it's, um, you're meant to do it for 26 weeks um, and complete 50 hours of activity. No fun in there so no. far. <laughs> no. And then, um, so what we found out was, and the, this was from research done by Public Health England and other people, that, it, that they were dull, they had problems with adherence and completion, um, and that once, if you did get, manage to get someone to the end of the 26 weeks, there were no maintenance programs that they go, could go on to, and that uh, if you went back to your old inactive ways, within 12 months, all of your strength and balance improvements would have disappeared, and the NHS have wasted a lot of money. I'm just going to jump in here for one second. There's a very important word here that we haven't touched on. It's called proprioception. And this is the word that we will touch in a, in a second. But for people to understand, it's that the balance that we have is made of three main systems. One is your eyes, two is your inner ear, which we'll talk about. And three is your proprioception. And the proprioception is the capacity of your tendons and some nerve endings to send straight back to your spinal cord information about the position of your joints. So if you think about it for a second, if you sit down here, close your eyes, if I move my wrist, I know where my wrist is. And the only way I know this is because as I move my tissues, I'm stretching this side. And this stretch is sent up to my center saying, I'm stretched, therefore I know my wrist is extended. And it would be flexed on the other side. Now think about it as an amazing frame of information coming in for us to stand. Because it, we take it for granted, mm. but let's be honest, bipedia is incredible, right? We stand a very complex, not I'm saying million, no, but 100,000 parts moving, organized body in motion, in motion within, with circulation yeah. on two feet that are not exactly that big. And, and it's, it's extraordinary that it works. And this is really mostly part of proprioception. So coming to this, why yeah. this is important is because you need muscle strength. Of course you do. You need, we'll talk about osteoporosis again, if you don't mind, because the sure. fact to stimulate the bone pressure changes a lot of things in the mm. bone. And one is calcification of it and therefore strengthening of it. But the proprioception is what is the most important here. And if you, we'll talk about it more into the this program, but I just want to touch on this for people who have had injuries, for example, mm. that they know as soon as you tear a ligament, for example, as you tear those fibers, those little receptors in the fibers will be torn or damaged as well. Oh, right. So you lose yeah. proprioception in that joint, but you don't, mm. there's no pain associated with it. You wouldn't know that. But the only thing is if you don't do some specific exercises to rebuild this connection with this particular injured tissue, you won't have it anymore. And this is when people start re-injuring themselves on the same ligament because the body doesn't know exactly where the joint is from that part. Right. Anyway, this is about proprioception. I just I thought I'd put it out no, there. No, I'm very pleased. Tim, so carry on. So you learn all, all about... So I've got to know a yeah. fair amount. I got to know people working in that field. So yeah. there's a, an eminent professor, Dawn Skelton, up at Glasgow Caledonian University. He's a, a key figure nice. in this. And she had set up a training organisation called Later Life Training. Mm -hmm. And she'd created a qualification for people to run FAME and Otago sessions. So um, there have been four stages we've gone through. So the first one was um, I brought together dance artists. And I should say, oh, part of my life, I was a dance officer for the Arts Council. I think I said that at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was, um, and one of the things that I'd got to know, and in fact, I was involved in with lots of other people in developing was community dance activity mm -hmm. and particularly creative community dance activity rather than, you know, ballroom or folk yeah. dance, yeah. you know, creative. Very rigid in, yeah, into, yeah. into the, yeah. the choreography. So first thing, get some falls prevention specialists and some dance artists together in a room and see if there was potential for creating a program. The, the phrase we now use is that we smuggle fame and otago into creative dance activity. Mm. So that went really well. We did it in a, um, a kind of retreat where they could talk, but they all, could also go into the dance studio. 
So they went into the dance studio and played around yeah. with ideas and that sort of thing. And they came out all smiling, saying, yeah, I think this might work. <laughs> so that was the first stage. The second stage was to see if we could really get um, uh, dance artists to smuggle fame and Otago. Could we get them to do the later life training qualification, 200 hours of training? Oh, my God. This mm. is... And I'm sorry, tell me a bit more about this quickly. What does it touch on? Just... It's a it's um, kind of a palliative overlook of patients after a certain that there's that, but also um, physiology. Oh wow! Okay, um, so it's a you know it's a whole yeah, it's a serious number. Oh, gosh, um, okay, and it's a course that uh, you end up being called a postural stability instructor. Okay, um, and the students are quite often physiotherapists, exercise professionals, sure. that sort of thing. So we trained a number of dance artists. Wow. We worked in um, London, Oxfordshire, and Cheshire just to get some variety. Mm -hmm. um, we had we tried to find partners. So we worked, for example, I can remember in Cheshire, we worked with Age UK Cheshire uh, and with a housing association, which had retirement, you know, retired. Uh, Was it housing. difficult to find dancers willing to take part? This is where no, no, yeah, <laughs> um, because uh, this kind of creative community dance was is something I think it varies in other parts of the world it's it's not as developed mm -hmm. but you know when I was a dance officer um, uh, you know quite a long time ago now we thought oh ballet big and all this you know contemporary dance creative it was but no I mean look at the way contemporary dancers so, come yeah. on and the way creative community dancers come on and so no uh, and there are dance organizations around the country so Uh, we but, worked. but it was a big commitment for them to take that course, of course. So they oh, had to just, I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. But you, yeah. Yeah. but anyway. they, they, they good, did good it. on them. Oh, good on them. It's fantastic. So I think that was about a three hundred fifty thousand pound project. I fundraised for it, and we we had some evaluation done, and uh, it said um, this is certainly worth taking on to the next level. I the the big thing I took from that stage was that. And this was a real fear I had. I had an awful fear that the dance artists would turn around and say, yes, we can smuggle fame and Otago into dance activity, mm -hmm. but it's really boring. I don't feel that I'm really bringing my, my artistic skills my to this. There's no space for my creative practice to develop. Mm. Um, but fortunately, they said, no, actually, it's a challenge. But it's one of those challenges where... It pushes us to be more creative because they had to find it. They had yeah. to kind of somehow put their creativity within a certain frame. Yeah, that's that's exactly. that's interesting. That's, it's tough. Um, okay, so that's that one, and then the next one, uh, which was just over two million pound program, was to really try it out in a lot more settings to begin to engage with the health sector. Mm -hmm. In that earlier pilot stage, I didn't even bother to try and go to the health sector and convince them that this was. You know, it was too, just too early. But once we had that promising, you know, evaluation, I and I managed to get he um, health funding. Gosh, okay. About great. 10% of that budget was health from, funds. you know, public health, uh, cl clinical commissioning groups, you know, these nice. bits of the NHS. So they yeah. could see what, what's, yeah, what's coming. Yeah, and they traveled the journey with us. So th stage three ended uh, with the publication of the evaluation. So you've mentioned the results. Just before that, yeah. were those routines, were there routines there? So was it, what's, what was the method that they came up with? Was a method, you know, was it a method that was re-applicable or was it something that you needed to be trained in? You know, what's, how do you, how do you uh, transmit the dance to how? Well, maybe we'll come to this later. But I thought because this would be interesting. I can give you a quick answer, yes. which is, um, and I've I, I found... It's taken time for me to be able to articulate this. But the way I put it now is if you are a professional dancer and you came and watched one of our sessions, you would say to yourself, that is really good creative dance practice. Nice. If you are a falls prevention expert, you will come in and you will look and say, wow, that's got all the elements of Otago in it. And it's safe. And it's uh, and it's safe. Which is obviously yeah. what they're looking at. Yeah. Okay, yeah. incredible. So stage four. 
Uh, end of stage three yes, results. Sir. Oh, yes. Um, so um, we tendered the evaluation. We appointed Sheffield Hallam University Sport Industry Research Centre. Uh, and they produced a report in which they said their overall conclusion was that Dance to Health uh, was an effective and cost-effective alternative to existing falls prevention in the health system. Yes. And bits of data, uh, I'll give you three. One is we reduced falls by 58%. Two, um, we had what I've ended up calling positive side effects. So drugs, we always talk about the negative side Absolutely. effects. Bless them, the dancers <laughs> working with these older people, they produce positive side effects. So 87% made friends. Of course, the social so, link, but yeah. we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, and so especially nowadays with our worries about loneliness, 87% made friends and 96% said they had improved mental well-being. Which goes with... The the one before yeah. <laughs> as, as well. I mean, you must have been, of course, when you go through these journeys, you can see if you are on a good one or not. I can imagine, especially with the experience you have. Yet, when you actually put it to try and it comes out with yeah. such numbers, it I mean, you, mu you must have been literally shopping. I would have been so excited. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this yeah. achievement is quite incredible. It really is. And the last one is... Um, we have been told that we can save the NHS, or no, the, the wider health system, 98 million pounds a year, if we make this into a national service. So it's not. And that's not just about money. Obviously, you've just mentioned it's not at all. But also, I think since we come back to this kind of snowball effect after the fall, it's also, let's say it's suffering, pain, oh, yeah. surgeries, mental start to change. You know, like it's a lot more than what we can even... Yeah. account for is this is the mm. thing that's difficult is you, you can't really yeah. perceive how big and how wide this goes yeah so well done and it's so common i mean i have chats with you know yeah. i meet an, Everyone... a, a health professional for the first time or an arts professional and they start telling me about their grandmother or their mother or their aunt it's and all, it's always the yeah. same it's, it's incredible. a lot of it it's a lot of it mm. so what happened after that so <laughs> stage four is then happened covid so we Part of our Unplanned. <laughs> Unplanned stage four. <laughs> so part of what we achieved was not only showing we could do Fame and Otago dance mm. versions, mm -hmm. but we could actually set up local community groups who want it. In other words, it's not us always having to be the provider. Mm -hmm. We could actually set up, um, you know, a bit like, um, do you know Park Run? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. that kind of model, in the jargon, a social franchising model. Mm -hmm. So it's the, the local community wants it, and they you hold their hand to help them create it, and then they run it, and then and we're what? the kind of quality assurance people, yes, and the uh, and yeah. support, and you become part of a national family and that sort of thing. So we set up seventeen groups during that that stage three. They all stopped. Yeah, of course. And um, some of them. Have, have I mean we keep in touch with the participants, but they act you know through newsletters and and things like that. But no, so quite a lot of them have stopped. And then we thought, can we take it online? So that's what stage four has been about. We've taken it online. Uh, we now have a national online program for anybody, um, and we're now starting to get contracts with health boards and others like retirement villages who want their bespoke one for a particular level of need you know so it could be a whole group of people who are all who all have walking frames yes whereas the national online one is more for you know quite able-bodied but it's more prevention How? work and who i mean so now i'm within this stage four because obviously once you're digital you can reach pretty far out yeah so do gps know about this for example you know how far in the nhs can you spread the program so that they can, you know, give it to people that can benefit from it? Um, so we actually haven't launched the sales campaign. The things that have happened have just kind of happened. And also, yeah. I mean, um, but we're very clear. So actually, just, just to kind of switch, maybe we're thinking about England a lot. Yes. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> but let's just talk about Wales for a moment. Right. Um, they have seven health boards. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been commissioned by one of the health boards. Uh, and uh, classes have just started. And so th the idea is 
that they refer. So they they do all the uh, initial assessment. Mm -hmm. They then refer um, patients to us, and then they become part of part of the group. Nice. Um, and you ask about GPs. So in Wales, they have GP clusters, right. and we're going to be working with. Um, we've, we're just finalising plans in Swansea, and we'll be working with uh, GP clusters. How many classes are there now av available online? Um, and what, how long is a class? G give me just oh, right. go into a bit of details of, of what what it, what it looks like, what it feels like when you. So, um, okay, so we had to come up with a way of referring to the fame and Otago things you know the 50 hours over 26 weeks yes we call them improvement programs mm -hmm. so um we we have got just at the moment we've just got the one in wales okay um so those are improvement programs and then the ongoing thing we call maintenance programs and so the national online is a kind of maintenance program we're doing one at the moment mm -hmm. Nice. Um, we're in, we started them in November, we do them in blocks of six and we, we're just finishing block two and we start block three right. shortly. But we, you know, this has all been kind of test bed stuff, getting ready for the, for the, for the sales campaign. So just one other thing, there are certain people who are not happy with online, like some of our 17 groups, they don't want to do it. Um, there are also parts of the country where broadband is rubbish. Right. So, yeah, the whole experience is yeah. just not... So we've gone backwards with technology. We have produced one DVD and That's we're producing two nice. more DVDs. One is specifically for Wales. So we're working out, do we do dubbing in Welsh? Do we do subtitles? You know, that's being sorted out. Right. And the other one came out of a group that has remained active uh, in a part of Birmingham called Ladywood. And so Ladywood wanted a DVD alongside doing the Zoom sessions. And so we're working with them on that. Nice. Yeah. So hang on, it's in English, I, I presume, all of it. So it yeah. doesn't, you know, we because you were just, just now <laughs> speaking about England and Wales. So why, why not bigger? Why not? Because I, I, it, it would seem fair that you would send it back to New Zealand, for example. That would be because cool. it seems that this it would be, you know, the, the life circle. Yeah. You know? Well, with, with online, we could. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Is so, that is that in the pipes or not? I mean, all these. You know, Why not? You look into the eyes of the team members and me, and of course we think these things. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you the big thing that we one of the big things we're working on at the moment is the supply of trained dance artists. Mm -hmm. We haven't got enough. Of course. So we need really good dance artists who can do this kind of creative work, who are expert in working with older people. They've got to go through that's the two hundred hours. I was going to say they have to do that. That's that's yeah. that's a very. I mean, it's. I guess it's amazing for them to learn this too, but it says a commitment that's, you know. Yeah, and, and it's one of the things- Is I it quite difficult in terms of academically? I mean, is it, can you fail it as such? Yeah. Yeah, so you have um, to commit. So yeah, you have to commit. You have to write essays. Yeah, yeah, it's a proper exam. It's a proper exam. But it's one of the things I feel very grateful to the, the dance, art, dance artists who've been with us so far, is that they went through that Mm. But we, it's not like we were guaranteeing them a whole load of employment. Quite right, yeah. yeah. But the, we're now getting to the point where I hope we can... How many this. do you have so far who've been through the programme? Um, 35. Gosh, that's a lot. Though. Yeah, but we've yeah. lost some, you know. Um, oh, they went in fact, on one has emigrated to New Zealand. <laughs> but there you go. This is, this is it. <laughs> this is your bridge. But why, why do they... I mean, now that on, the whole online platform is going to be, you know, growing, mm. I guess they could obviously do some live Zoom classes, but also they could, you know, do some recording of, of so many different little yeah. blocks. So that, that becomes now, you know, I feel you don't, you need so much more people if you already have 35 yeah. people. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand what's, so, the more the merrier, I get this. But Yeah. So what we're doing at the moment is the dance artists are doing live Zoom sessions from their homes. Right, okay. Um, the DVD, the first DVD was was just that, mm -hmm. um, and we with the Birmingham DVD, which is being sh or had no, actually we've got we've got the first draft now. Uh, we went into a, a studio, so we had a bit more money, so we we managed to do the uh, you know have a proper uh, approach to this. It wasn't just filming on iPhones. Yeah, we've actually got a, a film company working with us. 
Um, so, uh, you know, that that's all coming together. Yeah. Who's, what's the funding now? Where is it coming from now for the, for the next stage four and maybe the next stage five, um, which is overtaking the world? So... <laughs> Um, so this is classic business stuff, you know. Um, I'm having to carry on fundraising, right? But Through, in a charity kind of way, yeah, in yeah. a charity yeah. kind of way, yeah. Um, but we've restructured the management team. We now have an excellent head of business development and marketing. Mm-hmm. He's come from a charity from the charity world, but is used to the whole process of you know refining the products, pricing. Uh, identifying market opportunities, prioritizing them, all the processes that need to go with all of that. So yeah. we're right in the middle of all of that at the moment. That's nice. What's your, what's the dream? I mean, you've, you've pretty much, <laughs> you're at the dream. What's the next dream? No, no, no. The, but what's the dream? You know, where, 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 where are we taking this? Okay, so um, if all goes well, mm-hmm. by about 2025, we would have Dance to Health as a viable social enterprise. So it would be grant-free. That would be the idea. That would be the idea. Um, And that we would be serving the whole country in some way. So, you know, an older person in North Wales, maybe we've got to the stage where there is a local group and we've trained up a local dance artist who can run the sessions. If that's not possible, then there are the online classes. And if they've got rubbish broadband or they're not confident, they've got the DVDs. So it could be a proper national service in that way. I I don't want to be too optimistic. I just can't see how it would not become that. What's in the way? I I mean, you know, it seems the research is working. We know that. The people are enjoying it. You've got the fun yeah. part into it. You've got the creativity part into it. You have the experience from all your experience of bridging art and health. You know, I'm trying to, I'm not trying, you know, what, what is... Well, I've mentioned one risk, which is that we don't have enough dance artists. Right. I think the, the other risk is, so care homes are one of our areas, obviously. Of course, yeah. But, you know, financially... They're not in a very good state at the moment. No. So I think it's the ability to pay. Of course. Um, but we'll see. So that's the, okay, so that's the kind of 2025 vision. Mm-hmm. The 2035 is, if we go back to the vision of ESOP, mm-hmm. it implies that it's not just health. We'll have now, we'll have moved on to criminal justice, mm-hmm. maybe international development, um, and the one that saddens me, and it's the one that has had so much money invested in it, is education. Right. But actually, education is going backwards. Totally. You know, the way in which, um, you know, science and those sorts of subjects are prioritised over the arts, the decline in um, take-up of G- arts subjects in GCSE. It's been terrible. And it, yeah. it's, it's, I'm, I have to say, I'm here, it's been terrible because in France, for a long time, this was kept quite safely to the same oh, right. point. It was not increasing, but it was skipped yeah. and suddenly it's dropped again. So oh, it's been no. really a bit sad moment when this happened. And I'm not too sure because Emmanuel Macron was not, he's quite involved with this. We just, it just happened. And you know, these things happen and if you don't fight yeah. for them, they just stay oh, this sure. way. You've got so to you, keep have, fighting. you have to keep fighting for them. Yeah. Now, so this is about dancing, but you know, the, you mentioned it quite a few times. There's a lot more to the arts than dancing. Mm. I mean, it's dancing is plenty enough, but so, you know, you are a, a keen piano player, for example. So, because I'm looking here as obviously this really helps people with their proprioception. We mentioned yeah. the strength. Actually, coming back to this, I just want to mention something important about um, osteoporosis. And one of the things that happen. In the bone calcification is that we have a ratio between some organic matter, which are the cells live, and the calcification, right. which are mineral parts. It's right. a combination of both that makes a bone. But for that to happen, there's a very interesting process. It's called the piezoelectric current. So what it is, right. is that if you put pressure on a bone, there's a certain very low-grade current, electric current going through the bone, and that stimulates 
calcification. And I give you an example that you've all seen before. When P, when astronauts are sent in space for quite a long time and they have no gravity on them, yeah. why are they exercising so much? It's not just for the circulation, for that, the digestion mm. to work and obviously the yeah. blood pressure. Mostly it is to put pressure through their bones to simulate. Because whichever way yeah. you could have all the supplements in the world, if you don't put pressure on the bone, yeah. it, the calcification doesn't happen. And if you, I'm sure you've seen these images of astronauts yeah. coming out yes. back on Earth, yeah. and they have to be supported to yeah. work out because their bones, it's not, a, not, it's not just muscle atrophy, mm. their bones even would not sustain, and they start bending a little bit. Mm. Anyway, so and another thing about dancing is this, is that obviously you're moving, and that yeah. motion means pressure, and Absolutely. pressure stimulates piezoelectric yeah. current. Now you, yeah. you follow where I'm going with this. But I was going to try and, and say, what, what about music? What about, you know, are there, there's so many other areas. Yes. So is so is up looking at um, that as well? So we think of Dance to Health as the first demonstrator. And the idea would be that if this works out, you then start applying it to other health, yeah. you know. So well, you go to the health world and like say, say what okay, is the you know that do? falls problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've managed to do something about that. Mm -hmm. What's the next problem? Mm -hmm. um, what you, can you can you foresee some a music of example um, would be um, respiratory problems, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, mm -hmm. um, and singing for for breathing. Totally, yeah. So that's beautiful. Um, the evidence base is not as as developed, but it's. It's, it's because I mean, particularly with with COPD, because it's a decline, a long term decline. That's so right. it's, it's, you, could, you know, it's a real. It would be amazing if singing could actually turn the decline into. I think uh, you have to see COPD a bit like you would see osteoarthritis, which is you. There is no treatment that can reverse it. There are treatment that can slow it down. Yeah. So that's the thing to say. It's like you can. The more you're going to move, the the better you're going to be able to, but you will never be able to, you won't reverse it, I yeah. don't think. Here's another music example. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, the, we do these uh, um, biennial conferences. Mm -hmm. So, um, in the very first one in 2016, we um, showcased 25 leading arts and health programs. And one of them was called Raw Music. And it was all about young, mainly men, abusing drugs and developing psychosis. Um, and Raw Music came up with the idea of doing rap music workshops with these young men. Mm -hmm. And uh, BBC, there's a, a PM program on, on Radio 4, uh, they came along to the conference and they interviewed a consultant psychiatrist about this. Mm -hmm. who, he, and he has that kind of patient. Right. And he said, um, this is fantastic. It works. And my beds cost 500 pounds a night. And he said, you don't have to have too many raw music workshops to show that you've saved a whole mass of money. Quite right. Um, and so uh, actually, it's a sad story about that one. I think it stopped that project. Um, uh, you know, because it's a you know fundraising for all this sort of stuff is it's is difficult. quite tough. But I was really inspired by that one. I thought it was lovely. Interestingly enough, when I was a young, when I was studying medicine, we spent some time in a palliative care center in France. This uh, was and and art was huge there. And, and what it was mostly was I mean I'd say it was craftsmanship. So yeah. because people uh, we all often see it as a place where people. They are the, the end of their life, which is true, but mostly you put people there that are in extreme pain and yeah. it's a pain management place. So the one thing that you're actually doing is managing pain. And what you have to do is realize that when they were actually doing something, so really actively bending a piece of paper or painting, you know, yeah. doing at this particular moment when the focus was, was really there, they didn't feel the pain as much, which is as we know, yeah. if you're just lying down and thinking, am I in pain? Yes, am I in pain? Am I in pain? Yes, yeah, you're in pain. But if you can change the focus of the mind for a bit, and it's so difficult to change the focus of the mind of people that don't have a lot of visitors or standing there, you know, yeah. what else to do apart from watching TV or listening to music, which is great, but the, the act of doing something yes. and applying fine motor skills to something yeah. really helps on the day, yeah. the amount of medication you were giving them. And I think this was, you know, and it was a very big program. And I know this is still there, but I'm, 
obviously I'm very curious now to see how programs like ASAP can, you know, can grow into, you know, all the different directions yeah. of the arts. So one of the things we're trying to do is, is to understand what is it about the arts? Um, and we, we, we've called, we actually have a project about this, a research project called the Active Ingredients Project. So we've taken hold of a medical pharmaceutical term. Mm -hmm. and So what is it artistically about Dance to Health or, or these other things? And to pick up on what you were just saying, one of them is flow. You get into flow when you're totally. really doing this work, you know, and then time flies by. Nice, totally. um, um, Purpose as well. You get, you do something, yeah. there's a result, you know, you were, you were mentioning before you want to, you want to perform. You, you mentioned when we were having a chat coming yeah. to this podcast that even in your, in your, when you were doing the trial, some people afterward wanted to show the other places that they yeah. had made a whole show exactly. of it, wasn't it? So yeah. you want to, you, you want to show what you've done. Yeah. So a sense of achievement, a mm -hmm. sense of celebration, which a show can, can Good. do. Another one I like um, is uh, in the area of, uh, there's a program all about dance for Parkinson's. And there's a film that was made. And there's a moment when a guy with Parkinson's says to camera, I used to think of myself as someone with Parkinson's. I now think of myself as a dancer. That so is. you move from negative health self-image mm -hmm. to positive artistic self-image. So, yeah, I, I think this thing of active ingredients needs to be looked at more. I think it's a really interesting area. It is, and, uh, and this is interesting as well. You were mentioning positive side effects, but the best bit about all this is that there are no negative side effects. I mean, you know, this is the yeah. thing. You know, it's <laughs> like I can't find one. I can, we've been now chatting for an hour, and it's, it seems that, you know, if I was to look at it from a, let's say, health point of view, because we yeah. know that this is the thing, we're trying to blend them together, but sometimes people are a bit, they come from their own mm. side. It seems such a win-win situation yeah. for them as well. So the funding now, so do you, how do you fund now? I know I'm coming back to this, but you're doing more charity events. You need to raise money through. So how do we do this? The vision is that well, the plan to, uh, between now and 25 is that the earned income rises mm -hmm. and comes to a point where it covers costs. And in the meantime, the fundraising need declines. Tim, if you prove that you're saving 98 million to the NHS, which is the number mm. I think you... Yeah, yeah. How is it that the NHS then at this point will say, well, I'm, we're going to give them 5 million to save an extra 150... You know, I mean, it seems to me... I, I know this is a bit of a... Like, I'm not 12 years old. I know that the world doesn't work like this. But I'm just saying it's an, it, it seems to make sense even financially, not if sure. not. So, so what is so it? So I, I, I see it as a necessary condition for any arts and health program is that it needs to demonstrate the health economics. Which you, you have. Yeah, which we've done. But what I've learned, one of the many things I've had to learn along the way is um, it's tough getting an innovation into the health system. <laughs> you, so there's a, there's that's, a paper. That's, that's, that's a, okay, there's, there's a, a paper. paper uh, Journal of the Royal Society of Medicine, mm -hmm. and it talks about on average it takes 17 years to get an innovation into the health system. Really? Yeah. And I've heard other people's stories, you know, genius bits of kit that will stop, um, uh, what do you call them, uh, um, an event that must never happen. Is it a zero event? I can't remember. Mm, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's a piece of kit that could stop um, the, these sorts of events in operating theatres. And the person who invented it, she has to go around all the different hospitals trying to sell it. Because do don't forget, that's another thing. The NHS is actually not one entity. Mm -hmm. no, I mean, sure. the, the last, I mean, I heard at lunchtime today about the news, you know, we're going to have another restructure of the NHS. But the last one, uh, the Lansley reforms in 2012, included the creation of 209 NHS Clinical commissioning groups, wow. each with a budget. Yeah, so it's just it's difficult. It's to tough. Realize. It's tough. Yeah. Tim, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> a pleasure. <laughs> Lovely to talk to you. It was amazing, and I, I, I don't know. I find, maybe I'm a bit naive about it, and I know you've you've just wrapped it up nicely here at the end. But I find I, I do think by spreading the word in a way or another, I feel that the NHS should obviously, sorry, just for the word, see that it's it's a no-brainer. Yeah. And that, you know, it's working and the funding should come from there because they are the yeah. first and foremost beneficial. Yeah. And then obviously all the patients that will benefit from it. I yeah. find it's, um, you know, it's an amazing project that you've yeah. you know, I'm an thought of. And good. I Me think, too. I, I think um, 
the, the current changes in the NHS are in our favour. Um, first of all, there's much more emphasis on personalised care. We fit. There's this whole thing of social prescribing, of non-pharmaceutical uh, interventions. Mm -hmm. We fit. Um, and I, I think, uh, yeah, these integrated care systems that are coming through could work. I'm very hopeful. So I can't I. see. I can't see this <laughs> working. And I would love actually thinking of this now. You know, we obviously we're now becoming this platform as well, which we hope will will spread the word. And, and you know, I'm, I'm still thinking there could be some collaboration here that we need to think about for the future. Yeah. Because I think the more the merrier. People need to know about this. And and as you said, the biggest thing is to try and 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 give access to people because yeah. there is no, there's only good side effects to it yeah. so thank you so much for coming tim i really appreciate it absolute pleasure thank, thank you, you everyone i hope you enjoyed it you've learned a lot if you can uh take the time and visit www.ae-sop.org uh, then you will know a lot more about what we've discussed today and i can assure you it's incredible please go and visit it thank you so much for following us and see you soon on una series podcast bye bye